Hello and welcome to The Weekend Booktopian. I'm Mark Harding, Content and Brand Manager for Booktopia, and this is a podcast about the books that we're reading. Joining me today are Category Manager for Fiction, Ben Hunter. Hello, Ben. Hi. Uh, we're also joined by Category Manager for Nonfiction, Joel Naum. Hello, Joel. Hi, Mark. And we're also joined by our Affiliates and Partnership Manager, Arthur Malkoon. Hello, Arthur. Hi, Mark. So first, we're going to discuss a little bit of book news, then we'll delve into the books everyone is reading at the moment, and be sure to stick around until the end of the show when my guests are going to go head-to-head in a battle for book quiz trivia supremacy that we like to call book fight. So book news. Biggest news of the week uh, on the publishing front um, is undoubtedly the long-awaited release of Midnight Sun, the fifth book in the Twilight Saga, I believe. Um, (laughs) What is our experience uh, with Twilight? Um, how about we go to you first, Joel? You've been in the publishing game for a while. I have read the first two books, I believe. Um, and then I watched the, I think I w- ended up watching all of the movies. So I wouldn't say I retained them very well. Um, towards Certainly towards the end, I think they got very, very silly. And arguably they were always silly at the beginning too. But um, that doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with them. I, I have, in my time, published very many silly books, and I'm very proud of them. But um, it's it's certainly an interesting thing to see a book like this come, uh, like a series like this, be resurrected. The book, I believe, was originally um, written some time ago, and it got leaked, or some version of it got leaked to fans um, through hacking or something. I think something like that. And um, so, and the author decided that no, that she's going to sort of throw her toys out of the pram and not not publish it. Uh, and now, I guess it's been sufficiently long enough that probably it's harder to find the original pirated version. And she's done some more work on it, so it's ready to uh, cash in. <laughs> I suspect. <laughs> um, what about you, Arthur? Have you had much experience with the Twilight Saga? Um. My main experience with the Twilight Saga is when I used to work for another retailer, which I don't think I have the name, um, uh, when the books were really popular around the time of the movie, the books kept flying off the shelves more than I could handle and the look of disappointment on many a customer's face when we couldn't keep up with demand. So it was quite a phenomenon for some, for some reason. I, I, I never could grasp it, but that's just me. That's, again, nothing wrong with it, but... Not, not my cup of tea. No so, mine, Arthur, um, <laughs> I'm afraid to say. But I do have a fact check because the original Twilight Saga is technically five books. So this will be book number six. Uh, there's, a, there's like a, uh, I think it's a novella called The yeah. Short Second Life of Brie Tanner. Right, yeah. Oh, that's right. That yeah. How could you forget, Joel? How could you forget? <laughs> I didn't read that one. Uh, do, do we think that um, what, what's the cultural impact of Twilight, and is it still relevant um, with this new new book release? Are people kind of revisiting it and looking at it in a new light now? I don't think it's been long enough. I think it has had a huge impact on the publishing industry as a whole because I think the success of Twilight is what drove the subsequent success of Fifty Shades of Grey, which was originally a fan fiction of Twilight. Um, and the sort of resurgence of romance, a certain type of romance, into the um, 
more mainstream publishing world. It's never been taken seriously, which I think is unfortunate. And I think that's partially just because, you know, Stephanie Mayer isn't necessarily the best on the line writer. And these, these books aren't necessarily the best examples of these type of books. Um, they just are the ones that became successful. Um, and obviously she does certain things very well and it appeals to her readers. But um, I think, I do think there's just a part of it um, that has struck a nerve. And if it had been a different book, perhaps it would have been taken more seriously. Or maybe it just doesn't get taken seriously because it's mostly aimed at you know, women and especially teenage women. Yeah, fair enough. Um, what about you, Ben? Yeah, I, I definitely think it is a, a strange phenomenon um, that Joel alluded to, where in which uh, one author or one series rises um, above um, a massively over-published genre, um, paranormal romance or romance romance or erotic romance. There are hundreds of thousands of books published into these genres every year. Um, and but just one or two authors to become superstars um, is, um, is a just fascinating concept. And um, it just shows how a, a real herd mentality comes to reading. People want to read um, what their friends um, love and recommend. They want to um, book club it and, and, um, uh, and they want to read what's becoming major film franchises. And that's um, a really powerful phenomenon. Mm. And I think before we move on to the next topic, you should just note that um, we basically sold out on day one, um, sold through our whole allocation, had to get another shipment in. So the, the audience is, is clearly still there for, for Twilight. Absolutely. Um, yeah, next topic. So the, the Guardian um, uh, every year uh, run in parallel with the Booker Prize there, not the Booker uh, Award, uh, which is their the books that didn't make the cut for the Booker Prize as nominated by their readers. Um, so I thought this would be an interesting opportunity as they have just announced the long list to just have a, a little quick reflect on the Booker long list and whether there was anything that we loved that didn't make the cut that we would have liked to have seen make the cut. Uh, ben, it's uh, fiction, so let's go to you first. Alrighty, well, um, there's, there's a, a huge, array of novels that could have been listed for the booker um and there's 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 always going to be disappointment if you um are barracking for a, a one novel um unless it's such a, a a sure bet as um you know the wolf hole trilogy or the follow-up to the handmaid's tale you're you are running a very big risk of being disappointed um the the long list this year is huge for this um, non-prize, um, and there are some um, real class favourite authors, um, Ben Aranovich, uh, Britt Bennett, uh, uh, there's, there's dozens on here, um, it's quite overwhelming, um, Sebastian Barry, um, you know, people, people you um, will recognise and adore, um, yeah, so a lot of fan favourites out there. I'm also really excited to see um, Robbie Arnott, um, an Australian author in there, um, so that's a cool touch. What about you, Joel? Was there anything that you read this year that you would have liked to have seen um, make it onto the Booker uh, long list? 
Not especially. I don't now. Now that I'm uh, looking after nonfiction, I don't pay as much attention to the book as I used to, um, and my own personal reading tastes trend towards genre fiction a bit more anyway. So I I, I don't keep like a, a very comprehensive sense of what books should should or shouldn't be in the book. So I wouldn't want to comment specifically on that. But I do think it's interesting looking at the the not the booker list. How many um, you know other types of authors make it onto this list and you know the book are traditionally and i don't really have a problem with this but it's obviously a very specific type of book that makes it onto the book list you get a lot more genre fiction i guess that makes it onto the not the book list that you wouldn't ever imagine would, would appear um you know and so some of these books i haven't read but like looking at piranesi for example that is the long anticipated next book by Susanna Clarke that we didn't think we were going to get, which I'm very excited to read, but haven't read yet. So I, I don't know if it's good enough to be on the booker list, but my sense is that it wouldn't, it would, it wouldn't ever end up on the booker list. You know, something that came from a specific author would never, um, you, you get the crossover. I think Margaret Atwood is the closest you get to a sort of crossover author who does write some spec speculative fiction, but, um, uh, and you know, she, she won so <laughs> you can't you can't deny that that happened but um it would be nice to see some other stuff occasionally get into the book and long list yeah it's a little bit more um genre friendly i guess uh, what about you arthur um like joel i read a lot of non-fiction and um not not a lot of current for that matter um but uh yeah, so I can't I can't really comment too much on this, but um, that being said, I was anticipating the mirror and the light um, to have made the list just by reputation alone, and um, which is pretty amazing, I think, because Hilary Mantel, this is the third um, book in the series, and all three books um, have been nominated at this stage, and the last two won, if I'm not mistaken. So that's got to be some kind of record for an author, right? If, happy to be fact. <laughs> Well, yeah, I think I, she. I think she's the only uh, author to have won two, two book awards for the same series, right? Yeah. I mean, the, yeah. the entire series was also nominated for the book. I'm not familiar with any other um, book series where you know more than two or even three have been nominated. I think, um, I mean, the Testaments were, and possibly the Handmaid's Tale. So that's a book series of two, but a series of three. It's pretty impressive. So, yeah. <laughs> And that's my um, take on it. <laughs> thank you, Arthur. And uh, before we before we move on, I just wanted to say that you know, as a fanboy, uh, I think David Mitchell should have made it onto the long list. Have any? Because I adore him. And then just flicking through the um, not the book a long list, um, uh, Silver by Chris Hammer, um, an Australian author, is also on there, um, which is great to see. So moving on to our final topic before we get into the books that we're reading, um, writers um, and arts organizations are facing tough times due to the pandemic. Bookstores are um, having to shutter and, and lose business and organizations are losing funding. Um, how are artists and, and bookslingers um, faring at the moment and, and how are we going to make it through? So let's go to you first. Well, I, I partially wanted to talk about this because um, the organisation that I'm uh, on the board for, so it's very much uh, a, a conflict, so I should put that out front, is um, has been defunded, This we found out in the last week or so, um, from multi-year multi funding uh, from the state government. 
and they're not alone in this. It's the it's sort of record low level of funding that they're giving to literature organisations, and I find it just astounding, particularly because I work at Booktopia and I see how well fiction and other books are doing um, at the moment to customers. Like actual individual people are loving books more than ever before and are clearly reading a lot, and yet in terms of funding, the money isn't going to the actual people who create the books. And uh, so Writing New South Wales is an organisation that does uh, courses and online, uh, uh, not just online, sorry, coursework and uh, mentorships and assessments for writers and employs a whole lot of writers, about 300 each year, um, to do that type of work. And it's it's that type of work that supports writers um, to actually write. So not, not very many writers make a living off actually off their writing alone. And so it's it's organisations like this that actually help make it possible for writers to actually make a living. Um, because there are a lot of people who would like to write and so they do courses and they don't end up necessarily being published. Um, but that, that community of people that are holding up writers are essential to making it possible that, you know, to creating fertile ground for those, those authors to actually emerge. Um, and so it's just devastating. And I, I think the organisation I hope that we end up being okay, but it's really it's really hard to know at this point. And without the funding or some other supplement for it, it's likely that we'll end up uh, having to change the whole organisation to make to survive. So it's it's really sad, in, in particularly in the face of you know a global pandemic. Hmm. Um, ben, what about you? Well, uh, how how do you think um, uh, bookstores and writers and um, people in in this kind of arena can make it through? Oh, <laughs> with great difficulty. Um, uh, the cuts are terrible, as as Joel alludes to. Um, to to lose funding at this time uh, is is just a devastating blow, um, and it's sadly not surprising, um, given the way things have been going in that respect. Um, funding of arts organisations, uh, but also the stage four lockdown, which is just coming to effect in Melbourne, is is really going to devastate um, the book trade. Um, Melbourne is like the, the, the premier city of literature. As much as we love books in Sydney, uh, they, they love books in Melbourne more. Um, there are more booksellers in Melbourne, more independent booksellers, and there are more independent publishers in Melbourne. Um, so all of these um, uh, organisations are going to be um, shut down, um, working remotely and doing what, whatever they can. A lot of the independent booksellers are, are operating behind closed doors, um, trying to serve books to just their local community. Um, uh, phone them up if you've got a, a, a local one. They can do things like uh, home delivery or you, you can pick it up from the door with a contactless delivery system, which is um, you know, one, one small way you can help um, an independent bookseller survive uh, a huge economic shutdown, um, which is gonna destroy a, a lot of small and medium-sized businesses. Um, you know, authors are in distress, publishers are in distress. Uh, there's a lot of people who, you know, it's really hard to make great work when you don't know if your relatives are gonna be safe or if, you're going to have money to pay the rent next month. Um, that is a that is a real stress that will affect um, how the 
the immediate future of, of, of book publishing in, in the country goes, um, there are all kinds of effects of COVID-19 that um, we have to grapple with every day. Yeah, tough times. Um, I'll just add that that one of the problems I think for artists in general, but especially writers, I guess, is that a lot of the support that's been handed out to the general public to to get them through this is not available to writers mm. because of the type of the way that most writers make their income, because they make it through this hodgepodge patchwork of different types of things that that pull together an income that isn't easily accounted for in a way that makes sense as, as a job keeper type situation, even though it is a sector that makes a, a huge contribution to the overall economy. So it's a real disappointment that the government isn't like trying to save these jobs and save this part of the economy because it is a real part of the economy and it gets ignored. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Um, we could probably uh, talk about this for a long time, but in the interest of time, <laughs> I think we should we should move on to to the books that we're reading. Um, Arthur, how about you go first? Uh, what have you brought today? Uh, so I've been reading um, Too Much and Never Enough um, by Mary Old Trump, um, which is probably the most current book I've read in quite some time. But and I'm also a little disappointed in myself because I promise I'm not going to read another Trump book, but they always get me. Um, like Michael Corleone, I always think I'm out, but they pull me back in. And I've, I've, I've read them all, Fire and Fury, Fear, um, Unhinged, Team of Viper, the list goes on. I've read them all. I always say I'm not going to. Have, um, and naturally, I, I broke my promise once again. But um, what I found interesting about this book, and this one is quite different to the others in the sense that um, rather than focusing the majority of the narrative on Trump and his White House administration, this takes more of a look back at the making of Trump, so to speak, like even pre-Trump. So, you know, we care uh, more about his, his <laughs> basically as the, as the full title suggests. So the full title is, um, you know, how my family, um, you know, created the, the most dangerous man um, so if that's literally what this book goes into details about how, um, you know, his parents, Fred and Mary Trump, sort of how they raised him and, you know, the how he didn't quite get the attention that he could have, you know, young kids crave and that, you know, it seems so Freudian is that mummy didn't love me, mummy didn't hug me, but that's why I'm a monster. But that's basically, um, you know, how his, how his, you know, dissent began, so to speak, essentially. And there's a lot more insight into um, her own family, so her father um, and her mother and their relationship. And, um, yeah, quite surprisingly, um, you know, Donald Trump does not feature as much in the book as you might think, and that might be a relief for some people. That might be refreshing. But um, it um, definitely does paint a, an interesting light on the, the Trump name, the Trump legacy, the Trump dynasty, so to speak, and... Um, how they position themselves as this, you know, brand. They're not so much a family anymore as they are a brand, aren't they? Mm. Have, you read, have you read this one, Joel? Considering it's uh, it's it's one of your. <laughs> I haven't. No, I'm I'm fascinated to hear what, what it's about. I just haven't had the time, and uh, there's a lot of media around about it at the moment. So I've managed to pick up uh, the bits and pieces that are enough that I have a sense of what it's about. But it's really it sounds really interesting. And it's part of this new uh, 
trend of Trump books starting to do well again, which I find quite interesting because mm -hmm. there was a big period um, after the initial tranche of Trump books that all just completely dominated the publishing scene for the first year or so of um, his presidency. And then every Trump book since has sort of just flumped a bit, a bit. I think people were just exhausted with it. But I guess as we get closer to the election, there's a little bit more enthusiasm for this type of thing and this type of publishing and it's all picked up again. I find it quite interesting. Very hard, makes it very hard to predict how books are going to sell though. So <laughs> I'm interested, but I'm also a little bit annoyed. <laughs> well, so, so, um, if, uh, if the election outcome is what the punters say it will be um, at the end of the year, do you think the appetite for reading about Trump will dissipate or will it keep going? I think it will vanish, honestly. I think it's all about the fact that he has so much power. And so people yeah. are fascinated by the power he has and what he's doing and that nothing he does after this will be anywhere near as powerful. And I, I don't imagine he's going to vanish. He's not going to vanish. Um, he'll stick around and throw, throw stones from the sidelines, but um, he'll just seem a bit sad, I think, <laughs> uh, once he's lost. Because he's so much of his brand... Uh, is about winning and being on top. And he, you know, once he loses, if he loses an election, it's going to be pretty hard for him to, you know, to to make that narrative yeah. make yeah. sense. Well, this is part of his problem, um, and part of what the book he he doesn't accept defeat. He doesn't acknowledge defeat. He doesn't acknowledge being wrong. He doesn't acknowledge mistakes. They just don't exist in his world. He he live. He truly believes the lies that he sells. He has to believe them in order to sell them. That's part of his psychology. That's part of, it's it's quite fascinating that he, he commits to the lie so much. It's, a, it's like the old George Costanza thing. It's not a lie if you believe it. That's exactly <laughs> in a nutshell. <laughs> it, that seems to be true though, right? You know, when I you hear about people talking about how he's this liar, I just think, I feel like when you watch him, he doesn't look like he's lying. He looks like he's, he's deluded. <laughs> There's countless um, recordings of it. Even when people tell him, you said this, I didn't say that. It's like, that, they're showing <laughs> no, uh, that, That's taken out of context. It's like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> like, Fascinating. Word, it's taken out. Okay. Yeah. yeah I, I, my favorite um, Trump technique is the um, taking, taking um, journalist questions next to a helicopter so that you can just like not, not hear what they say. I need to... <laughs> <laughs> if only there were more helicopters in my life. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you can put a little drone in your living room when you're doing it. I'll just call. start vacuuming. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> All right. Thanks for that, Arthur. Um, ben, what, what have you brought? Um, I've read a couple of books. Well, there's one that I've, I've read uh, a week ago, uh, which is still with me and is amazing. Uh, I'll, I'll talk about that first. It's uh, Rose Tremaine, Islands of Mercy. Uh, it's a novel set in the 1800s um, where you meet uh, the daughter of a physician in the city of Bath, which is kind of like a, a, a day spa town at the time. People literally came with uh, things like consumption to um, uh, sit in the baths and hopefully heal themselves because they did not have... A lot of the benefits of modern, modern medicine that we uh, take for granted today, and uh, 
this woman, Jane, this young woman, is known as the angel of the baths. She's a nurse and um, uh, she's tall and she's beautiful and uh, people flock to her and they say that she has healing powers. Um, and then a big chunk of the book is also in Borneo, <laughs> uh, in the jungles of Borneo where this um, loopy um, uh, want-to-be uh, naturalist uh, guy is going in search of beetles and um, strange critters and he encounters a very odd um, self-styled British Raj type who is uh, running the place like a um, breakneck colony uh, he lives in a huge marble house um, and this this very strange novel is about um, individuals um, seeking to live their lives outside of the norm, uh, outside of societal expectations around things like sexuality. Um, uh, so uh, love is just played with in all these endearing and wonderful ways in this novel. Uh, and uh, sexuality and uh, eroticism and exoticism are all played with as well. It's incredibly funny. Um, it's really moving and uh, it takes you places. It's a, it's a really cool book. I adore it. Is it, um, is it out now? It is out. That's a really good question. I'm going to find that out um, in real time because obviously I read a, an early proof copy. Um, it was one of those books that got delayed. Um, the other book I've been reading um, uh, just this week is The Tolstoy Estate uh, by a guy called Stephen Conte. Um, he's an Australian author um, who I hadn't encountered before and he's incredible. Um, he's really good. Um, the Tolstoy Estate is historical fiction. Uh, it takes place in the Tolstoy Estate, believe it or not, um, <laughs> uh, in the sort of coming towards the closing chapters of the Second World War. Um, so the Nazis are occupying large swathes of the East and um, you follow uh, a physician who um, is working in a, a medical outfit. Um, he's a surgeon uh, and um, they, they set up a field hospital in the only um, a state building that hasn't been burnt out by the retreating Russians. And of course they haven't burnt it out because it's the birthplace and home, family home of uh, Leo Tolstoy. Um, and a, a dedicated group of locals are still maintaining the place as a museum, um, even when the fascist occupiers uh, are there. And um, this man's, um, loves Tolstoy and he loves literature and he and he, um, he sees he wanted to be a writer. He had all those kinds of aspirations. And so this is really a special moment for him. Uh, and so you have all these, it's a, it's a novel of, of action. You know, it's wartime. There's a lot of death and destruction going on, but it's also a novel of conversation. It's a novel about uh, literature and ideas um, and how we can live with ourselves and how um, we value um, how we value artists and the past. Um, 
even when um, these huge identitarian and um, political conflicts are going on, you know, socialism and Bolshevikism uh, are clashing head to head um, in the home of Tolstoy. It's a very, it's just a totally fascinating concept and it's written really well. Um, I adore it. Uh, I'm really enjoying it. Excellent. Excellent. Same, same question. Is it, uh, is it out yet? <laughs> okay. Um, Islands of Mercy is out on the 15th of September. The Tolstoy estate is also out in September. Awesome. All right. Some great, some great books to look forward to in September. Thank you, uh, Ben. Joel, what have you been reading? The mute is off. <laughs> Technology. <laughs> I have been reading uh, I, uh, the new book by Richard Feidler, The Golden Maze, which, as he calls it, is a biography of Prague. Um, we are calling it a history because that's what it is. But <laughs> a biography of Prague is quite um, evocative and I think it's very accurate to the way that he tells the story because um, I actually haven't read any of uh, Richard Feidler's other um, sort of travel history books, um, but I gather it's done in quite a similar style to the others. So he weaves in his own personal story and his visits to the, to the place that he's talking about um, with um, with the history and he's such a great storyteller and just um, you know talking head basically so his voice is so wonderful and it's just such a beautiful read like I I have a slight personal connection to Prague which the book is about um, because my partner my partner's father is from Prague uh, originally from uh, the Czech Republic and lives and now lives in Prague again as moved back there as an adult. Um, and I visited a few times and I love the city. And it's just so interesting to get the history because I, you know, you hear bits and pieces from family. Um, but um, it's very different to actually sitting down and actually reading all about it. It's a fascinating place, a very weird um, central because it's, it's in Central Europe. And I think because it's a Slav language, a lot of people associate it with the Eastern Bloc and because it was communist as well. But actually it's a very much a central European country um, and it's close, significantly closer to London than it is to Moscow, you know. Um, and so they get quite annoyed by, by being sort of associated with the Eastern Bloc, I think. Um, and <laughs> and they they have this central position in European culture that is very, I think it's quite fascinating. You know, the center of a lot of, a lot of very famous literature has been set there or written by Czech people, um, probably most notably Kafka, I guess. Uh, and it's a, it's a very, the city itself feels very magical and, and literary. So it just seems like the perfect place to set this book. Um, I'm really enjoying reading it. Um, I, I'm really, really intimidated by the idea of uh, interviewing Richard for this book at some point in the next few weeks. <laughs> <laughs> One of the most uh, certainly experienced interviewers on Australian radio. Well, <laughs> I, I really can't wait for conversations with Joel Neum. To <laughs> Welcome to conversations. Yeah, uh, it should be should be interesting. Um, but Welcome yeah, it's a good, it helps. It helps that I'm really loving it. So. Uh, and I just think, and we have a whole pile of signed copies of this book. So if you're listening to this podcast when it comes out, you should be able to get a signed copy. 
and I highly recommend getting it because it's just awesome. It comes out on the 20th of August. Um, so I've got, a, I've got a slightly early copy that I actually have had for a while and decided to read only recently. <laughs> but it's great. It's a great book. Um, the other one that I'm hoping, I haven't actually read yet, but I'm hoping to read this week and uh, the next week is um, very different. It's a fiction title in my usual style of splitting one nonfiction and one uh, fun, trashy <laughs> fiction title. This one is called uh, The Patient by Jasper DeWitt. It's um it's quite short. I don't I think it's only about two hundred ish pages, um, but the the premise is that uh, is a sort of I think it's told in blog posts and it's from this a psychiatrist who goes into this mental asylum, who has to treat um, this patient who every uh, every other doctor who has ever treated this patient has committed suicide, and it's just a sort of exploration of what the hell is going on and uh i've read a couple of pages it's it's so gripping that just the initial part and it's got all these great reviews uh and also uh my partner published the book so i feel like <laughs> i should mention that and also <laughs> it's a good reason to read it yeah i i i have that i have that to read as well and i just noticed before i have a nudge in my inbox from from your partner saying all right yeah, yeah. <laughs> well yes that's that is her job <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it is it is uh i'm really excited to read it actually because i think, I think it, it, of the stuff she's published recently i really i really like this episode. um yeah th those are my two Excellent. very different very different you can't get more different <laughs> all right well thank you guys so much for your um uh for the books that, that, that you brought today and and for the discussion we're now in the part of the show where um we find out who's actually the best at books uh in book fight um, Nick will put in a sports sound effect there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right. So what I need you guys to do is you each need to give me a word that you're going to shout out to be your buzzer. Arthur, what's your buzzer going to be? I'm going to stick with my standard, which is buzz. My three fans have come to expect it. So, Excellent. All right, Joel, what's yours? Oh, man. Uh, book. Okay. And Ben? Mine will be my cat's name, which is Lola. Excellent. Oh, two syllables. Do you like to live dangerously, Ben? <laughs> I'm not expecting to win. Well, I wasn't expecting to win. All right, go. All right, here we go. Round one. Name every book in the Millennium series by Stieg Larsson and David Lagerkrantz. Book. Go, Joel. I, I can attempt it. Uh, the girl with the dragon tattoo. Yes. The girl. <laughs> Am I going to get one? <laughs> the girl uh, and the spider's web. Yeah, I'll give you that. Uh, that's all I've got. <laughs> I thought I could get it. There's a hornet's nest somewhere. Oh, yeah. The girl. Yeah, you kicked the hornet's nest. Yep, that's right. And there's a girl who plays with fire. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Good work, Ben. <laughs> I don't think I should get any points for this. I'm impressed that you attempted. I'm going to share points around. I'll give, I'll give Joel three. I'll give Ben one. I'll give Arthur one because um, you all help. Oh, but the nice. point collective. The answer is um, 
So there were the ones that stick last on it, which is the girl with the dragon tattoo, the girl who played with fire, and the girl who kicked the hornet's nest. And then there's the David Lagerkrantz one, which is the girl in the spider's web, the girl who takes an eye for an eye, and the girl who lived twice. Oh, I have not even heard of the last two. <laughs> I would never have got those. Uh, okay, question two. Which novel opens with the line? It was a nice day. All the days had been nice. There had been rather more than seven of them so far, and rain hadn't been invented yet. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very famous book by a very popular author. I'm pretty sure, I'm like 99% sure that Joel will have read this book and loved it. It's <laughs> really putting pressure on me. It was recently. Oh, I know who it sounds like. Who does it? Who do you think? Where are you thinking, Joel? Sounds like Neil Gaiman or Terry Pratchett. Yeah, I was going to say it sounds like Gaiman. Yeah, yeah. Is yeah. it Good Omens? It is Good Omens. <laughs> <laughs> and I was almost about to say the Bible, so there you go. <laughs> I remember that line. <laughs> he, he, they do a great line in that sense at the beginning of that book of like <laughs> indicating that, you know, like this perfectly innocent summer. All right, next question. <clears throat> this week, it was found that the author, John Boyne, um, had included some odd ingredients for red dye in his latest book, A Traveler at the Gates of Wisdom. What was odd about them? Oof. Nobody saw this story? Nobody <laughs> saw this story. <laughs> we can guess. Okay, who wants to have a guess? <laughs> blood? Is it blood? No, it's not blood. So what was odd about them <clears throat> was that they were fantasy ingredients from The Legend of Zelda. And uh, John Point... <laughs> So somebody read this, took a photo of the page and put it on Twitter, and um, it got shared around a lot. And then John Boyne um, admitted that uh, he had Googled um, ingredients for red dye and had just clicked on the first hit and hadn't realized that it was a guide <laughs> to The Legend of Zelda. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Wow. Love it. Yeah. He laughed about it. Okay, this one this one should be, should be easy. So fingers on buzzers. I think this is just going to be down to speed. Uh, what is the title of the new Craig Sylvie novel? Hola. Look. <laughs> and got in first. What is it? Honeybee. Very good. Okay. Which book won Best Novel at the 2020 Hugo Awards last week? <sighs> book. Go for it, Joel. I didn't. <sighs> it's N.K. Jemison, right? Nope. I thought she did win something at the Hugo's, but not the best novel, obviously. I uh, did see the news, and it's completely slipped my mind. <laughs> Anyone else? No? I'm not even going to try. All right. It was a book called A Memory Called Empire by Arcady Mateen. Um, and I had not actually heard of it um, prior, to, prior to it winning the award. Um, but I have placed it on order at booktopia.com.au. <laughs> can't wait to read it. <laughs> All right, next question. Sarah Wilson's upcoming book is called This One, What and Precious Life? Book. Joe. Wild. Very good. <laughs> All right, we're up to the last question. Now, this last question is one where anybody can win because uh, you can get as many points as you can with this question. So oh. 
Arthur, get in there. <laughs> Name as many books as you can that have an animal in the title. Lola. All right, then. <laughs> You're three behind Joel, just, just to put the pressure on. Well, I, we, we covered one earlier. Uh, the girl who kicked the hornet's nest. Very good. Uh, the girl in the spider's web. <laughs> I got two already. Yeah. Um, uh, oh, goodness me. Um, oh, the boy, the mole, the fox, and the horse. <sighs> wow. That has several animals. Do I get a point that's, for each one? Several animals, but it's just one point. <laughs> oh, okay. So I need one more? Yeah, one more. Um, <laughs> um, ooh, 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 ooh. Um, Frog Kisser. Um, by that guy, um, the Australian guy, Garth Nix. Very good. All right. That gives you six points in total. Um, Arthur with one point, um, which is, let's face it, Arthur, it was a pity point. And then Joel with five points, <laughs> which means Ben is our winner today. Most Yay. of my points are my pity points too, so. Really the beginning. <laughs> Excellent. Well, congratulations, Ben. And guys, thank you so much for playing and thank you for joining me today. Um, the Weekend Booktopian is produced by Nick Lasilia, and you can find links to all of the books that we've discussed today in the episode description, or you can find them at booktopia.com.au. You can listen to all of our shows for free on SoundCloud and iTunes, including our recent interview with the last migration author, Charlotte McConaughey. Uh, we'll be back next week with another episode of The Weekend Booktopian. Until then, thanks for listening and never stop reading. Thank you for listening to the Booktopia podcast channel. Don't forget, you can subscribe to us on SoundCloud and iTunes for free and get access to hundreds of author discussions, book analysis pieces and more. Or if your eyes need a workout, head to Booktopia TV on YouTube. Don't forget, for all books featured in this podcast and for access to a whole bunch of other fun content on our blog, head to Booktopia. Australia's local bookstore at booktopia.com.au.